0: Section 1 of The Black Poodle and Other Tales This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. The Black Poodle and Other Tales by F. Annesty. The Black Poodle i have set myself the task of relating in the course of this story without suppressing or altering a single detail the most painful and humiliating episode in my life i do this not because it will give me the least pleasure but simply because it affords me an opportunity of extenuating myself which has hitherto been wholly denied to me as a general rule i am quite aware that to publish a lengthy explanation of one's conduct in any questionable transaction is not the best means of recovering a lost reputation but in my own case there is one to whom i shall never more be permitted to justify myself by word of mouth even if i found myself able to attempt it and as she could not possibly think worse of me than she does at present I write this, knowing that it can do me no harm, and faintly hoping that it may come to her notice, and suggest a doubt whether I am quite as unscrupulous a villain, so consummate a hypocrite as I have been forced to appear in her eyes. The bare chance of such a result makes me perfectly indifferent to all else. I cheerfully expose to the derision of the whole reading world the story of my weakness and my shame, since by doing so, i may possibly rehabilitate myself somewhat in the good opinion of one person having said so much i will begin my confession without further delay my name is algeron weatherhead and i may add that i am in one of the government departments that i am an only son and live at home with my mother we had a house at hammersmith until just before the period covered by this history When our lease expiring, my mother decided that my health required country air at the close of the day, and so we took a desirable villa residence on one of the many new building estates that have lately sprung up in such profusion in the home counties. We have called it Wisteria Villa. It is a pretty little place, the last of a row of detached villas, each with its tiny rustic carriage gate and gravel sweep in front and lawn enough for a tennis court behind which lines the road leading over the hill to the railway station i could certainly have wished that our landlord shortly after giving us the agreement could have found some other place to hang himself than in one of our attics for the consequence was that a housemaid left us in violent hysterics about every two months having learnt the tragedy from the tradespeople and naturally seen a something immediately afterwards Still, it is a pleasant house, and I can now almost forgive the landlord for what I shall always consider an act of gross selfishness on his part. In the country, even so near town, a next-door neighbor is something more than a mere numeral. He is a possible acquaintance, who will at least consider a newcomer as worth the experiment of a call. I soon knew that Shutter Garden, the next house to our own, was occupied by a colonel curie a retired indian officer and often as across the low boundary wall i caught a glimpse of a graceful girlish figure flitting about amongst the rose bushes in the neighbouring garden i would lose myself in pleasant anticipations of a time not far distant when the wall which separated us would be metaphorically levelled i remember ah how vividly the thrill of excitement with which i heard from my mother on returning from town one evening that the curies had called and seemed disposed to be all that was neighborly and kind i remember too the sunday afternoon on which i returned their call alone as my mother had already done so during the week i was standing on the steps of the colonel's villa waiting for the door to open when i was startled by a furious snarling and yapping behind and looking round discovered a large poodle in the act of making for my legs he was a coal-black poodle with half of his right ear gone and absurd little thick mustaches at the end of his nose he was shaved in the sham lion fashion which is considered for some mysterious reason to improve a poodle but the barber had left sundry little tufts of hair which studded his haunches capriciously i could not help being reminded as i looked at him of another black poodle which faust entertained for a short time with unhappy results and i thought that a very moderate degree of incantation would be enough to bring the fiend out of this brute he made me intensely uncomfortable for i am of a slightly nervous temperament with a constitutional horror of dogs and a liability to attacks of diffidence on performing the ordinary social rites under the most favorable conditions and certainly the consciousness that a strange and apparently savage dog was engaged in worrying the heels of my boots was the reverse of reassuring the curie family received me with all possible kindness so charmed to make your acquaintance mr weatherhead said mrs curie as i shook hands i see she added pleasantly you've brought the doggie in with you as a matter of fact i had brought the doggie in at the ends of my coat tails but it was evidently no unusual occurrence for visitors to appear in this undignified manner for she detached him quite as a matter of course and as soon as i was sufficiently collected we fell into conversation i discovered that the colonel and his wife were childless and the slender willowy figure i had seen across the garden wall was that of lilian Roseblade, their niece and adopted daughter she came into the room shortly afterwards and i felt as i went through the form of an introduction that her sweet fresh face shaded by soft masses of dusky brown hair more than justified all the dreamy hopes and fancies with which i had looked forward to at that moment She talked to me in a pretty, confidential, appealing way, which I have heard her dearest friends censure as childish and affected. but I thought then that her manner had an indescribable charm and fascination about it, and the memory of it makes my heart ache now with a pang that is not all pain. Even before the colonel made his appearance, I had begun to see that my enemy, the Poodle, occupied an exceptional position in that household it was abundantly clear by the time i took my leave he seemed to be the center of their domestic system and even lovely lillian revolved contentedly around him as a kind of satellite he could do no wrong in his owner's eyes his prejudices and he was a narrow-minded animal were rigorously respected and all domestic arrangements were made with a primary view to his convenience "'I may be wrong, but I cannot think that it is wise to put any poodle upon such a pedestal as that. How this one in particular, as ordinary a quadruped as ever breathed, had contrived to impose thus upon his infatuated proprietors, I never could understand. But so it was. He even engrossed the chief part of the conversation, which, after any law, seemed to veer round to him by a sort of natural law. I had to endure a long biographical sketch of him. What a society paper would call an anecdotal photo, and each fresh anecdote seemed to me to exhibit the depraved malignity of the beast in a more glaring light, and render the doting admiration of the family more astounding than ever. Did you tell Mr. Weatherhead, Lily, about Bingo? Bingo was the poodle's preposterous name. And Tax? No, Oh, I must tell him that. It'll make him laugh. Tax is our gardener down in the village. Do you know Tax? Well, Tax was up here the other day, nailing up some trellis work at the top of a ladder, and all the time there was Master Bingo, sitting quietly at the foot of it, looking on. Wouldn't leave it on any account. Tax said he was quite company for him. Well, at last, when Tax had finished and was coming down, what do you think that rascal there did?' He just sneaked quietly up behind and nipped him in both calves and ran off. Been looking out for that the whole time. Ha, ha, ha. deep that, eh? I agreed with an inward shudder that it was very deep, thinking privately that if this was a specimen of Bingo's usual treatment of the natives, it would be odd if he did not find himself deeper still before, probably just before he died. "'Poor faithful old doggie,' murmured Mrs. Curie. "'He thought Tax was a nasty burglar, didn't he? "'He wasn't going to see Master robbed, was he?' "'Capital house dog, sir,' struck in the colonel. "'Gad, I shall never forget how he made poor Heavisides run for it the other day. "'Ever met Heavisides of the Bombay Fusilers? "'Well, Heavisides was staying here. "'And the dog met him one morning as he was coming down from the bathroom.' Didn't recognize him in pajamas and a dressing gown, of course, and made at him. He kept poor old, heavy sides outside the landing window on the top of the cistern for a quarter of an hour, till I had to come and raise the siege. Such were the stories of that abandoned dog's blunderheaded ferocity, to which I was forced to listen, while all the time the brute sat opposite me on the hearth-rug, blinking at me from under his shaggy mane with his evil, bleared eyes." and deliberating where he would have me when i rose to go this was the beginning of an intimacy which soon displaced all ceremony it was very pleasant to go in there after dinner even to sit with the colonel over his claret and hear more stories about bingo for afterwards i could go into the pretty drawing-room and take my tea from Lilian's hands and listen while she played schubert to us in the summer twilight The poodle was always in the way, to be sure, but even his ugly black head seemed to lose some of its ugliness and ferocity when Lillian laid her pretty hand on it. On the whole, I think that the Curie family were well disposed toward me, the Colonel considering me as a harmless specimen of the average eligible young man, which I certainly was, and Mrs. Curie showing me favor for my mother's sake, for whom she had taken a strong liking. As for Lillian, I believed I saw that she soon suspected the state of my feelings towards her, and was not displeased by it. I looked forward with some hopefulness to a day when I could declare myself with no fear of a repulse. But it was a serious obstacle in my path that I could not secure Bingo's good opinion on any terms. The family would often lament this pathetically themselves you see mrs curie would observe in apology bingo is a dog that does not attach himself easily to strangers though for that matter i thought he was unpleasantly ready to attach himself to me i did try hard to conciliate him i brought him proprietary buns which was weak and ineffectual as he ate them with avidity and hated me as bitterly as ever for he had conceived from the first a profound contempt for me and a distrust which no blandishments of mine could remove looking back now i am inclined to think it was a prophetic instinct that warned him of what was to come upon him through my instrumentality only his approbation was wanting to establish for me a firm footing with the curious, and perhaps determine lillian's wavering heart in my direction but though i wooed that inflexible poodle with an acidity i blush to remember he remained obstinately firm. Still, day by day, Lillian's treatment of me was more encouraging. Day by day, I gained in the esteem of her uncle and aunt. I began to hope that soon I should be able to disregard canine influence altogether. Now, there was one inconvenience about our villa besides its flavor of suicide, which it is necessary to mention here. By common consent— all the cats the neighborhood had selected our garden for their evening reunions i fancy that a tortoiseshell kitten cat of ours must have been a sort of leader of local feline society i know she was at home with music and recitations on most evenings my poor mother found this interfered with her after-dinner nap and no wonder for if a cohort of ghosts had been shrieking and squealing as Calpurina puts it in our back garden or it had been fitted up as a creche for a nursery of goblin infants in the agonies of teething the noise could not possibly have been more unearthly we sought for some means of getting rid of the nuisance there was poison of course but we thought it would have an invidious appearance and even lead to legal difficulties if each dawn were to discover an assortment of cats expiring in hideous convulsions in various parts of the same garden Firearms, too, were open to objection and would scarcely assist my mother's slumbers, so for some time we were at a loss for a remedy. At last, one day, walking down the Strand, I chanced to see, in an evil hour, what struck me as the very thing. It was an air gun of superior construction displayed in a gunsmith's window. I went in at once, purchased it, and took it home in triumph. It would be noiseless and would reduce the local average of cats without scandal. One or two examples, and feline fashion would soon migrate to a more secluded spot. I lost no time in putting this to the proof. That same evening, I lay in wait after dusk at the study window, protecting my mother's repose. As soon as I heard the long drawn wail, the preliminary sputter, the wild stampede that followed. I let fly in the direction of the sound. I suppose I must have something of the national sporting instinct in me, for my blood was tingling with excitement. But the feline constitution assimilates lead without serious inconvenience, and I began to fear that no trophy would remain to bear witness of my marksmanship. But all at once I made out a dark, indistinct form slinking in from behind the bushes i waited till it crossed a belt of light which streamed from the back kitchen below me and then i took careful aim and pulled the trigger this time at least i had not failed there was a smothered yell a rustle and then silence again i ran out with the calm pride of a successful revenge to bring in the body of my victim and i found underneath a laurel no predatory tomcat, but as the discerning reader will no doubt have foreseen long since the quivering carcass of the colonel's black poodle i intend to set down here the exact unvarnished truth and i confess that at first when i knew what i had done i was not sorry i was quite innocent of any intention of doing it but i felt no regret I even laughed, madman that I was, at the thought that there was the end of Bingo at all events. That impediment was removed. My weary task of consolation was over forever. But soon the reaction came. I realized the tremendous nature of my deed and shuddered. I had done that which might banish me from Lillian's side forever. All unwittingly, I had slaughtered a kind of sacred beast the animal around which the curie household had wreathed their choicest affections how was i to break it to them should i send bingo in with a card tied to his neck and my regrets and compliments that was too much like a present of game ought i not to carry him in myself i would wreathe him in the best crape i would put on black for him the curious would hardly consider a taper and a white sheet or sackcloth and ashes an excessive form of atonement but i could not grovel to quite such an abject extent i wondered what the colonel should say simple and hardy as a general rule he had a hot temper on occasions and it made me ill as i thought would he and worse still would lillian believe that it really was an accident they knew what an interest i had in silencing the deceased poodle would they believe the simple truth i vowed that they should believe me my genuine remorse and the absence of all concealment on my part would speak powerfully for me i would choose a favorable time for my confession that very evening i would tell all still i shrank from the duty before me and as I knelt down sorrowfully by the dead form and respectfully composed his stiffening limbs, I thought that it was unjust of fate to place a well-meaning man whose nerves were not of iron in such a position. Then, to my horror, I heard a well-known ringing tramp on the road outside, and smelt the peculiar fragrance of a Burmese chiru. It was the colonel himself who had been taking out the doomed bingo for his usual evening run. I don't know how it was exactly, but a sudden panic came over me. I held my breath and tried to crouch down unseen behind the laurels, but he had seen me and came over at once to speak to me across the hedge. He stood there, not two yards from his favorite's body. Fortunately, it was unusually dark that evening. Ha! There you are, eh? he began heartily. Don't rise, my boy, don't rise. I was trying to put myself in front of the poodle, and did not rise, at least only my hair did. You're out late, aren't you? he went on, laying out your garden, hey? I could not tell him that I was laying out his poodle. My voice shook, as with a guilty confession that was veiled by the dusk. I said it was a fine evening, which it was not. Cloudy, sir, said the Colonel. Cloudy. Rain before morning, I think. By the way, have you seen anything of my bingo in here? This was the turning point. What I ought to have done was to say mournfully, Yes, I'm sorry to say I've had a most unfortunate accident with him. Here he is. The fact is I'm afraid I've shot him. But I couldn't i could have told him at my own time in a prepared form of words but not then i felt i must use all my wits to gain time and fence with the questions why i said with leadenariness he hasn't given you the slip has he never did such a thing in his life said the colonel warmly he rushed off after a rat or a frog or something a few minutes ago and as i stopped to light another cheroot i lost sight of him i thought i saw him slip in under your gate but i've been calling him from the front there and he won't come out no and he never would come out any more but the colonel must not be told that just yet i temporized again if i said unsteadily if he had slipped in under the gate i should have seen him perhaps he took it into his head to run home oh i shall find him on the doorstep i expect the knowing old scamp why what do you think was the last thing he did now i could have given him the very latest intelligence but i dared not however it was altogether too ghastly to kneel there and laugh at anecdotes of bingo told across bingo's dead body i could not stand that listen i said suddenly wasn't that his bark there again it seems to come from the front of your house don't you think well said the colonel i'll go and fasten him up before he's off again how your teeth are chattering you've caught a chill man go indoors at once and if you feel equal to it look in half an hour later about grog time and i'll tell you all about it compliments to your mother don't forget about grog time i had got rid of him at last and i wiped my forehead gasping with relief I would go round in half an hour, and then I should be prepared to make my melancholy announcement, for even then I never thought of any other course, until suddenly it flashed upon me with terrible clearness that my miserable shuffling by the hedge had made it impossible to tell the truth. I had not told a direct lie to be sure, but then I had given the Colonel the impression that I had denied having seen his dog. Many people can appease their consciences by reflecting that, whatever may be their effect their words produce, they did not contrive to steer clear of a downright lie. I never quite knew where the distinction lay morally, but there is that feeling. I have it myself. Unfortunately, prevarication has this drawback, that if ever the truth comes to light, the prevaricator is in just the same case as if he had lied to the most shameless extent and for a man to point out that the words he used contain no absolute falsehood will seldom restore confidence i might of course still tell the colonel of my misfortune and leave him to infer that it happened after our, our interview but the poodle was fast becoming cold and stiff and they would most probably suspect the real time of the occurrence and then lillian would hear that i had told a string of falsehoods to her uncle over the dead body of their idolized bingo an act no doubt of abominable desecration of unspeakable profanity in her eyes if it would have been difficult before to prevail on her to accept a blood-stained hand it would be impossible after that no i had burnt my ships i was cut off forever from the straightforward course that one moment of indecision had decided my conduct in spite of me I must go on with it now and keep up the deception at all hazards. End of section one. Recording by Joyce Martin.